Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode, we're joined by Deborah Kurdeman, University of Washington. Debbie, welcome to Pipeline. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, so, as I explained to you, uh, there's a bit of interest in uh, figuring out exactly how folks who work in philosophy of education come to this field. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your entry into this work in philosophy of education? I fell into it. Okay. This was not um, a deliberate, well-thought-out decision. Uh, What happened is that I was working um, with a youth organization in Boston. Um, I really loved informal education. Uh, And in particular, I loved watching kids, these were high school age kids, um, struggle to come to terms with their identity in these informal environments. I wanted to know a little bit more about that. Uh, I wasn't really sure how to approach this, except that, in all honesty, I'm really bad in math. Interesting. And I didn't, I thought that uh, trying to think about these issues through the social sciences, I was going to have to take a course in statistics, which, by the way, I did, but be more conversant in statistics than I I knew I had the ability to do. And so I was trying to think of a way that I might be able uh, to pursue this interest, but that wouldn't involve statistics, honestly. Um, I was a literature major in college, and I loved literature, but literature wasn't necessarily going to get me kind of more directly into education. I don't even remember how philosophy of education came onto the table, Mm -hmm. Um, but I eventually started researching programs, um, and the one I was most interested in was back in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that was mainly because that's where my family was, and at the time my mother was ill, so I wanted to get back to the Bay Area. Uh, And somebody um, recommended, uh, basically, a mentor who I got in touch with, who had just finished the program. This was at Stanford. Um, And they said, you ought to talk to this person. Um, And uh, and I did, and I thought, well, okay, so I'll try for philosophy of education. Okay. And that's how how it happened. Okay, interesting. So, so it sounds as though there there was this sort of chance encounter with a person who uh, was able to uh, uh, sort of shepherd you into the field, uh, and then you had inside of you not sort of an attraction to the field, but more an aversion to a particular way of understanding uh, education. You know, quantitative. When, yeah. Nobody has put it quite that way, but I don't think that's inaccurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I I will say, by the way, that one of the things that's happened to me over the years. Um, is that I actually I have become um, quite 
interested in and respectful of social science. I okay. think that happens if you're a philosopher of education in a college of education, hmm. because as you and I have talked about, um, if you are a philosopher in most places, hmm. you're going to be by yourself. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll have one other colleague. Sure. But most of your colleagues are going to be social scientists. Hmm. Um, and those are the people you're going to be sitting around the table with, interacting with. Uh, and I have come to actually deeply appreciate the, the way they think about education. Uh, it's very much informed the way I think about um, um, philosophy, and so okay. ultimately, it's been a productive conversation. But okay. in the beginning, I was afraid about I was afraid of my poor math skills. Sure. So, so, yeah. so o- over time, though, uh, uh, your your relationship with uh, uh, with social sciences has been productive. So, uh, you Very. mentioned, of course, uh, having these conversations with your your, your colleagues in education in, in the education departments and so forth. Um, what have you brought to the social sciences, and uh, to your mind, what have they brought to your understanding of philosophy of education? Uh-huh. That's an excellent question. Yeah. Um, let me let me start with how. Uh, the social sciences have informed the way I I think about philosophy. And I'll just give a couple of examples. So social scientists are very concerned about generalization and generality. Mm. And um, how you define generality or generalization really depends on what you're doing. If you're doing quantitative work, it's going to go one way. If you're doing qualitative work, you're going to think about generalization in another way. But they're very disciplined um, about thinking, thinking about how can I, you know, take these data yeah. um, and then broaden them. Yeah. M- maybe I would say, sure. I don't know that philosophers are nearly as careful about that as we need to be. Okay. I think philosophers in general tend to talk in generality, mm. uh, and so um, what the social sciences have have helped me think about, frankly, are, um, are the justifications for the claims that I want to make okay. uh, and, um, and, and just being more careful about that. Okay. Um, what do I, as a philosopher, bring to the social sciences? Yeah. Maybe I'll just say two things, okay. and I would, it's a great question to continue thinking about. The first is um, helping people become more conscious of value decisions that they make. So if you operationalize a variable, you're making value decisions, for example. So simply helping people recognize and become more critically aware of values. The second thing that I think I bring, in particular, the kind of philosophy that I do is very much um, interested in issues of self-understanding. Sure. And uh, and so as one is doing one's work, one asks oneself, um, what kind of person am I? Who, who do I want to be? What do okay. I want to become? Okay. What is the purpose of this work? Not just for the good of mankind, but mm. what difference does it actually make for me as well? And I think that's those are important questions to ask. Yeah, so so uh, that question of sort of self-understanding or, or, or thinking about who we are, who we wish to be, who we wish to become, uh, is that at all connected to what you were mentioning earlier about your earlier sort of uh, attention to the, the, the youth uh, in Boston? Um, it is, yeah. and I honestly didn't put that together until this conversation just now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so I focus on hermeneutics, but specifically the hermeneutics of, of Gadamer. Okay. 
I did actually I did not ever take a class in Gautamer in graduate school. Sure. I got interested in this pretty far down the line. I did audit a class on hermeneutics and critical theory, but that was the extent of my formal education in, in, in this field. Um, most of it has now come from reading on my own, but also absolutely through my teaching and using teaching as an opportunity to read texts I wouldn't otherwise oh, read. Good. Why I'm interested in um, hermeneutics, I can talk about now more um, ar- articulately. Initially, it was more an, an intuitive interest. Okay. But the more articulate way to talk about this now is that I think what Gadamer tries to do um, is help us understand understanding in a framework that's not the framework of epistemology. And so some of the distinctions that are fundamental to epistemology, subject, object, structure, agency, um, subjective, systematic, uh, just sort of don't apply in a hermeneutic universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what I think Gadamer has helped me understand is that all understanding is self-understanding. Okay. That's not solipsism. That's not narcissism. That is, um, I think, uh, a, both maybe an empirical and a normative claim about um, what's happening um, when... Uh, people and maybe I'll say students are struggling to understand anything. Um, this is maybe more clear in certain subject areas than in other subject areas, although friends of mine, colleagues of mine who do math and science say it's absolutely applicable in math and science, but for literature, for example, um, from a Gadamerian perspective, you can't understand a piece of literature unless you are able um, to allow yourself to be interrogated by that piece of literature, sure. which means that you allow it to speak to your own life and challenge your own life, sure. um, challenge your own um, assumptions. So, so uh, I mean, this, this is really... Fantastically uh, uh, interesting because uh, so you mentioned earlier that you had this early uh, uh, work that you did in literature and so forth, and you were looking for a way to connect literature to education, perhaps. And uh, now hearing you talk about Gadamer here, uh, what I'm hearing is this wonderfully rich account of sort of uh, understanding oneself through the process of struggling to understand. And it's also the case that your understanding of Gadamer came through a self-education uh, uh, of, of, of sorts, right? So understanding Gadamer as you're understanding yourself uh, and then returning to that work. I mean, this is wonderfully... Correct. Yeah. But it took a long time. Sure. And I would say the most um, powerful uh, catalyst for that awakening, mm. um, it was partly the reading that I've done. Okay. It was definitely the writing that I've done because writing pushes you to get clear mm-hmm. but equally as important it's the students who I've taught okay. um, and the questions that they bring not necessarily to a text by Gadamer but the questions that they bring really to anything mm-hmm. um, have have pushed me to um, try to think more clearly about what it would mean um, uh, to help people um, 
uh, just simply become uh, more who they are. And that's a never-ending project. I was going to ask exactly that. I mean, is no. this is this something that, that, that has an end goal? I mean, so people often talk about sort of being educated, right? Uh, uh, or I'm an educated person or, or, or things of that sort. But it sounds like what you're suggesting is that this process is uh, perpetual, it, 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 it's, it's uh, uh, revelatory, and it's, it's continuous. Uh, and it requires you to live with being profoundly unsettled mm. all the time. Mm. So, for example, um, years ago, I taught a course for pre-service teacher education on value tensions. Okay. These right versus right um, uh, dilemmas that come up in the real world. Sure. Now, today, that might be approached through non-ideal theory, and I think non-ideal theory could give us some interesting ways to, to think about this. But if you come at it from a more Gaudamerian perspective, what, you, what I recognized is that um, the goal of dealing with the value tensions um, is partly to get more clear about how one is going to act in a certain situation, okay. recognizing that that may not hold to the next situation. Sure. But the process of wrestling with value tensions, number one, you're compelled to think to yourself, not only what does this situation require, but what does the situation require of me? Mm. What kind of person do I want to be in mm. this situation? And that that process of wrestling is enormously transformative. And that's why one, I, for me, teaches value tensions sure. because it is such a it can be such a transformative process for students and one of the things that they come to understand is that you'll never have it completely figured out mm. um, and that if you're kind of waking up in the middle of the night wrestling that's actually a, a good thing I will up to a point sure, um, sure but it's not something that I want to get over ever having any regrets I want to get over ever having any uh, middle-of-the-night wake-ups. Sure. Um, because if that was happening, you probably were not wrestling with values that actually mattered, not just to the world, but also to you. Yeah, it sounds as though there's something really human about that experience of sort of wrestling with, right? I mean, so uh, 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 trying to understand ourselves, trying to understand what's important, what's important to us, uh, given the particularities of our circumstances and our constitutions and so on and so forth. I mean, it sounds like a real, as you said, it's a, a real struggle, perpetual struggle, perhaps perpetual educational uh, uh, struggle at that. And yeah. potentially uh, transformative. Yeah. Um, because, and that means potentially always educational. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, one of the things that, that at least Gaudamarian hermeneutics has put front and center for me is that you can never take self-understanding out of the picture. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes philosophers tend to do that. Uh, we associate self-understanding with with subjectivity, mm. subjectivism maybe it's subjective, mm. or it's relative, or if you're doing self-understanding or you're thinking in those terms, you're, you're um, not going to be thinking about um, subject matter. Uh, Gadamer has a very different view that self-understanding is always in play. Um, it has alerted me to how quickly education, how quick, how quickly education tends to vacate the self. Mm. Um, and that happens either because we concentrate on critical thinking, we concentrate on getting smarter about ideas or texts, um, and then the self just sort of 
sure. falls off. Falls by the wayside. So, 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 could you just say a little bit more about that? Uh, about vacating the self there. I, I mean, so, so, uh, you know, is is are you thinking there of the educator in relation to the student? Are you thinking of the educational researcher? Uh, uh, are you thinking? Of, I mean, just, uh, could you just say a little bit more about that? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, researchers okay. where um, one's own self um, is either taken out or it's managed and, and controlled. Mm-hmm. There are some there are some people, for example, a Ruth Bahar who mm-hmm. the self is self understanding is very much there. But when one does research it's it's really all about how am I understanding the people who I'm researching. Sure. The notion that there might be a conversation between them and me, that's a conversation that's not research Gottimer would dispute that, but sure. that's sort of um, where we are. But I should maybe just clarify what I mean by vacating the self, because um, uh, one might say that certain theories, particularly, let's say, social cultural learning theory, mm-hmm. is very much about putting identity on the table. Mm. And that we're, we're looking not only at how students understand math, but also how under, uh, cultivating understanding of mathematics you're also cultivating a math identity. Mm. Um, Gadamer has a notion of self-understanding that is not identity. Mm. Um, the reason is that identity tends to be constructivist. Sure. Um, and Gadamer's notion of self-understanding is always around conversation across difference, mm. around a common subject where both parties come to learn something that they had no idea they were going to learn and that always comes as an unexpected, unanticipated surprise sure. or what I have been called being pulled up short, which mm. is never fun, Sure, but it resonates with, sure. with people. Sure. So, so on, this, on this idea of being pulled up short, I, I wonder if uh, perhaps uh, our field, philosophy of education, uh, may be in a moment of being pulled up short as it co- contemplates uh, what it is and what it hopes to be in the future. Um, do you have any thoughts about what uh, what we might consider as we move forward and sort of create uh, ourselves uh, as philosophers of education? Yes. I maybe would say two things. Um, I'm not sure that we create ourselves as philosophers. Mm. I think we come to understand who we are and who we want to be in conversation with other people who might have actually very different views about what it means to be a philosopher of education. But in addition, one of the things that um, I'm now really starting to think about is conversations between and among philosophers of education from different generations um, who have different perspectives, um, temporal perspectives, simply where where one is on life's journey that is really quite different. And I'm, I'm struck by um, how I think atemporal and ahistorical we sometimes tend to be, mm-hmm. that there really aren't necessarily natural opportunities mm-hmm. for older and younger and, let's say, mid-career philosophers to talk with each other about what this journey is like, yeah. what they've learned, what they anticipate. Um, if it's, let's say, a Gadamerian conversation, each party would bring his or her own perspective to the table. So this, if it works, it wouldn't be paternalistic on one hand sure. and dismissive on the other. Sure. 
but might actually be a place where together people can come to some sort of regeneration, which could mean continuity, it could mean radical change. Sure. I'm not really sure, sure, but some regeneration, or at least, I don't know that this conversation is going to necessarily help us get more jobs, Sure. but it might... Um, reinforce the idea that what we do is really meaningful, yeah. profoundly meaningful, and it's, it's really, it's a good way to, to spend one's life. And perhaps in that, uh, in that exchange, uh, uh, that perhaps might be where, we've, where we locate the meaning, right? I mean, yes. uh, of course, uh, sort of talking about it uh, amongst one another, uh, we might be able to sort of uh, figure out uh, uh, what is meaningful, but perhaps it's that exchange itself that uh, holds some uh, meaning for us as we contemplate uh, who we are again and who we wish to be. You know, you make a really interesting point, Winston, that um, it, it's the, I, the notion would be... Um, thinking about some sort of uh, situation where that conversation could happen but then continue to happen. Yeah. Uh, and that, of course, is you know the place where education always takes a leap into the unknown. You can hope that the lesson gets learned, but you know can't guarantee it. Sure. Debbie, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a real treat to chat with you and to uh, think about uh, uh, all of these very captivating ideas. Thanks so much for having me. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song Summer as our theme.